You are listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast, a podcast where a couple friends sit and talk around the fire after everyone else has gone to bed. Grab a drink and join us as we discuss everything from famous explorers, artificial intelligence, and what is the meaning of life. There is an old Greek proverb. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. And in this episode, we'll be talking about society. Is it good for the whole or is it good for the individual? But before we get into it, Nick, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I am doing pretty good and uh, been working hard and have to get up early and continue working hard. So I am being a nerd and just drinking Gatorade. What about you? My friend, my friend, this hurts. This hurts. <laughs> I actually am row. not drinking liquor. <laughs> I am actually not drinking liquor for once. I'm drinking beer. I figured we could cheers, but no. It's sadly, child's I'm, play today. <laughs> ugh, I'm drinking some Samuel Adams. It's kind of my go-to. I like the fall flavors for Samuel Adams, so that's where I'm going to. And I think it would be appropriate to list off the definition by Webster of what society is defined as. Webster has is people in general thought of as a living together in organized communities with shared laws, traditions, and values. They also have a sub-secondary definition as the people of a particular country, area, time, etc. thought of especially as an organized community. And with those definitions, society has existed a lot longer than humanoids have been. And a lot longer than humans have been around. Groups forming in our ancestral tree line started about 52 million years ago. Humanoids began sharing resources with each other in the groups rather than simply being part of a herd. Humanoids began sharing resources somewhere from 1.8 to 2.6 million years ago. About 130,000 years ago, humans began trading with other groups besides their own tribe, which that's hard to imagine in the animal kingdom. A different pact that you're sharing resources with or making a fair trade with. And by 40,000 years ago, trade routes were already established. But why? Why do and why did species form groups and form society? It's an interesting question, Nick. I want to look at this in the way that John Locke talks about society and why we have it. He asks, why would any man willingly leave the state of nature, a state where he is completely free and equal to be governed by an authority. So why would someone be choose to give up their complete freedom to be governed by other men? Well, my first reaction is a Benjamin Franklin quote, those willing to sacrifice freedom for security deserve neither. And I feel too many want to sacrifice their freedoms for security, but on an evolutionary point, there might be some benefits to that. I'd like to jump back real quick to our ancestors forming groups somewhere around 52 million years ago and why they formed those groups. So a group of researchers from the University of Oxford did some research and to test that very question. Their hypothesis was simple. Is safety in numbers key to evolution? Wasn't their exact phrasing, but uh, I'm ablating. At that time, 52 million years ago, is an important mark because it's when our monkey and ape brethren split from similar primates, such as lemurs. Susan Sultz, an anthropologist at the Oxford group, 
believes the reason why these groups started to heavily form and shift and split during this time is when our ancestors were becoming from nocturnal to daytime creatures. And it's a lot easier to sneak alone in the dark, but alone in the daytime where anything can see you. Safeties is in numbers, and strength matters in the animal kingdom. That's really interesting. I never thought about humanoids being nocturnal. Well, yes. I mean, the I, if I remember correctly, and I could be mistaken on this, a huge part of our upright was simply because the region where our ancestors were growing grew tall grass. So our ancestors, when they would switch from tree to tree and they had to go on the ground, would stand up so they could see above the tall grass and be able to see stuff. I'm not sure when this shift happened. I'm not sure if it was the direct lineage of our humanoid ancestors, but... I mean, we went from underground burrowing creatures that survived the asteroid to us. So we've come a long way, Nick. For sure. And uh, I just think it's interesting that, I mean, we know, all of us know that like all apes and chimps live in some form of society as well. And it's a little bit more advanced society than, say, like a deer or elk herd where you have one or two leaders and everyone follows. There's complex arrangements there's gossip there's a lot of cheating (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not a simple society no it's definitely not simple at all i mean not mistaken the apes have in the congo i believe just started the age of stone age they started bringing uh rocks to a certain tree like almost a religious beach which is kind of how our ancestors started with our trading routes and trading um you could go back to that and that's uh kind of where society's form is a single dignity and trading routes i mean perhaps that's another reason for society forming which i want to get later into it is simply trading but the safety in numbers to me was the most common hypothesis i saw for why society formed they need to survive to hunt prevent from being hunted grow more food is at protection from other tribes that's well, the last two are a little bit more later in the human history growth but it's a lot easier to bring down a woolly mammoth or or protect yourself from a saber-toothed tiger when there's more than one of you it's a numbers matter in a fight that's definitely for sure yeah and uh and that's exactly what um, Locke goes back to say is that when he asks why would anyone be willing to surrender being completely free to be governed by other men he he says that life in a state of nature can be dangerous and you know constantly changing so it's necessary to for a bunch of people to get together to form their own government to preserve their lives liberty and property i would also say the 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 property the liberty is much later i think group society form simply less on an individual freedom right but simply on a survival basis i mean look at the example of growing food agriculture they didn't have the equipment that we do now the most i mean everyone back then was a farmer or hunter and gather it wasn't like what three one percent of the population in the united states is a farmer something so i think it's less than small. One now. yeah back then manpower actually meant manpower you needed numbers to grow your your crop and that access of food i mean that would lead to more craftsmen now not everyone has to work the farm some people can you know work on making better bows and arrows well that brings in more food now they can make in better houses to store the food so the food lasts longer the excess of food i think people realize at an early age like hey 
if we stopped killing each other and work together, we're more protective, we're more safe. All, this is me just thinking on the fly here. I'm also curious on if it was an, if societies formed and didn't kill one another, was it a better breeding situation? So you were less competitive with different males and females in your society because you weren't trying to kill each other, you weren't hostile towards each other. So you had a larger gene pool to choose from. I mean, I think that's definitely got to be part of it. But uh, another thing that we didn't mention is uh, living in a society, people can live longer. So you can accrue wisdom from the older members of that society who have tried these dumb things before and they didn't work. And so you can advance faster, you know, w- once you have that background knowledge. That too. And also prolong, uh, just saying on what you said with prolonging life, if you get injured, you're not dead. Others can provide for you while you heal, and you'll do the same for them. It's no longer you broke your leg, you're dead. You got to be put down. It's, oh, you broke your leg? Well, we'll set it. Hopefully you survive, but we'll keep bringing you food, water, until you're healed or you're dead. That's a huge point of a tribe, a herd, a species, protecting their sick and weakened. That's usually the opposite in most animal kingdoms, where those are the first to go, or... They're kind of kicked out or they're kind of almost used as bait when the predator comes by. Yeah. And and this is the caveat here is we're talking about a perfect society. It's like everyone working together in harmony, which is not always the case. Often not the case. Depends who you ask. Well, I imagine in our early ancestor forming of society, when society did form, it was the case. A tribe of maybe, what, 15 to 30 max? I mean... Either you get along, or the other person's going to figure it out. I feel like, uh, I mean, there's probably still hierarchy. There's probably still resentment, gossip, et cetera, et cetera. But you kind of have to get along to get along in in that kind of situation. I'm going to have to disagree. Now, I think you're going to get along, but the first chance to throw someone you don't like under the bus so that you, you can climb up the ladder, the hierarchy ladder... I think that's still going to be a common thing. I don't think that's suddenly a new thing that humans invented. I don't think the hierarchy ladder is that sophisticated at this point. I think, honestly, you have the chief and the tribe. Like, I am i don't think there's tiers. I think there's top dog and not. Exactly. I don't think well, there's... There's, there's going to be a new top dog eventually. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I... I even if you're st- I, I, the reason why I disagree with that is because if you ever had the opportunity to work with your nemesis, your enemy, you'll quickly realize, at least in my case, that your nemesis, your enemy is one of your best friends. They bring out the best in you and they, uh, well, they want the, it's hard to hate someone who wants the same thing you do. So to have someone you work with, your, let's say it's a new tribe, they switch members, blah, blah, blah. If you work with someone for 15 years, you can't. And it's, again, brain is not fully formed yet. We're still not that advanced of a society, even though we're still pretty kind of advanced. To hate, to have hate for 15 years simply because you want their position, to not feel sad or want to protect them, like not feel like it's part of your family, I, I don't see that being very possible. When tribes start getting bigger, I would say 50 plus, I can see it. But like the small initial forming of society, I don't see it. Well, I guess what what's the average size of the human tribe i i don't know i'd imagine it's more than 30 people i mean that's 
I think that's, that's a pretty small. I think number. that's both time and region. I think that's both time and region Pacific. I, I don't. I imagine that varies so much. Yeah, I mean, I I just think that there's good and bad in, in living in a society, and the bad has always been there, and the good's always been there. You, you can't s- separate them. No, you're simply trading your evils. That's all you're doing. But do you get more good out of it is the question. And I think you, at least for early humanoids, we get a lot more good out of being in a society than being individuals. Now, for modern day, that is completely up for debate. And I would say probably individuals might be a little bit better in society. But that's definitely debatable. I'm thinking, I'm still talking early tribes, beginning of agriculture. I imagine, I imagine they go, hey, we don't have to roam anywhere. We can start collecting more things. We don't have to fight off as many predators because there's more of us. We can trade with that other group we saw because they're more north than us. They get different animals than us. We can trade different furs. Hey, we can also trade sons and daughters with them so our gene pool gets bigger. I, in the early stages of society, I see exactly why they formed it. I mean, I, I definitely understand why they formed it, but I'm at the same, to the opposite coin that you're talking about, hey, there's this tribe over here. All of us together can help kill them, or we can rape their women, or we can... The, talking about taking care of an injured person, there's 30 of us. We have to, More of us have to kill more animals to provide for this person who's not giving us anything. I just think that there's... I think it's it's not a all good or bad that there's going to be every society, even at this early time, there's going to be bad stuff that happens. All right, so you say competing with a rival tribe such as war is bad. I would say at this point, that's just nature. If two lion packs meet each other, they're going to rip each other's throats out. It's the same with our earlier ancestors, pretty much. Right, so why, but I, I guess my question is, why don't you think that extends to people in your tribe, like someone who is injured? What is the benefit that they gain from, you're not going to fix a broken leg, you can let it heal, but it'll always be broken, an extra mouth to feed. What's the societal benefit of that? So, disagree with you there. There has been evidence that people have set bones in the ancient times and actually healed and gone back to tribes. Well, the benefit of it is I do it to, for you, you will do it for me. So, we all have a mutual agreement of, hey, I don't want to die. So, when I, when something bad happens, we all take care of each other. It's like mutual insurance. It's a safety net. That's what my that's what my thinking is. No, I I completely understand what you're saying, but at the same time, there's just it's like if if times get lean, like who's going? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean I, that's the same for today's society. I mean if someone's got the plague, kind of kick them out the door. We're doing that today. If someone is uh, I don't know, if we're going across Oregon Trail and we meet a blizzard and we're starting to get hungry. Mm, John over there is looking kind of tasty. Yeah, we. I mean, we still do that. I mean, uh, what bears still eat their young when they're uh, if it's really hard winters, so that way they can survive to breed another season. Cannibal, like it's just a different form of cannibalism. It's like self-sacrifice. It's. I mean, dogs when they get sick, they go find a place to die. They don't want to be near the pack. I mean, I imagine many different animals simply when they're feeling sick or getting old to die 
they wander off underneath a tree or something like that. So why wouldn't it be the, not the same for humans? I would. I, I think the point I'm trying to make is, yes, the majority of people are probably good, but you are going to have bad actors and you're not going to be able to get rid of that. You're always going to have somebody who wants to be in charge, even if they're not currently in charge, and they're going to do things so that they can become in charge. So I half agree with you. I agree on the basis of someone will always want to be in charge if they're not in charge. Com- competition, I mean, happens in every animal pact where, uh, like seals, like one seal wants to, or walruses, one walrus wants to be the alpha or the the big bull, et cetera, et cetera. But I also want to point out our brains, our thinking patterns are not the same that they were thousands of years ago. Evolution is constantly in play. And I imagine our mindset, I mean, back when we were still breeding, hunting, and eating Neanderthals, when they were our cousins right next door and living in the same areas, I mean, actually, that's a perfect example. I mean, a huge part of Neanderthals going extinct and humanoids not is Neanderthals were smaller tribes, like a lot more individualists. Humanoids, a lot large numbers. That was a huge part of their extinction. Maybe during this time period, we saw humanoids, oh, bigger tribe means that doesn't happen to us. I I mean, to get in the mindset of a caveman is a little hard to do, and I don't think it's fair to rationalize our thinking with their thinking. I just, I find it difficult to believe that becoming power hungry is a relatively new phenomenon. I'm not saying that that's not a phenomenon. I'm just saying the thinking of like the faked actors, you say, throwing you the bus, well, that's, just, that's, exa- right, that's, so, the, that's a symptom of being power hungry. Like if someone is power hungry, that's an action they could take. Yes, but that's the action they can take with, I would imagine, modern society. I, Again, I don't think the same brain pattern and thinking and skill set is in the same toolbox as the cavemen. Like they might want to be power hungry, might, you know, make fake gossip, might literally just stab a spear through them, stuff but like that's that. But the, the purpose of gossip is to spread what's going on in society as well as plant your place as like a confident or you know like take someone down like that is what gossip is for so if they are gossiping there's a power play going on sure but i also think it's a risk analysis play going on i think hey if i kill this person some of the tribe members won't like me a lot of tribe members like him i won't kill him or i will kill him that that if they're having the same thought patterns that you have made out the examples for, they would realize if majority of the tribe likes that person and you kill that person, the tribe won't like you. Therefore, you will put yourself at risk. And I wanted to add on, hey, I want the power, but I also want to live more. I know I physically can't take them in a fight. And I know right now our tribe's kind of weak or our tribe's not that big. So I'm worried about the lions coming to um, come eat me. If you're doing, if you're, if you think the early humanoids, I'm talking about when we have the beginning of society, has much complex for the theaters of deception, then they're guys, they're definitely going to be able to think of the cost analysis of, hey, if I do this, this will happen. Hey, if I do that, this will happen. And I imagine most of the time, going a, a, a power struggle where you're trying to take the throne, that's always a very dangerous game with high risk. And high rewards. I... Mm, no, I, I, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think, you know, it, it happened, but I don't think so that, I don't think it was as common as you're making it out to be. 
I mean, I feel like both. I mean, the answer is somewhere in the middle, but I feel like I, I just I find it extremely difficult to believe that early humans just all lived like in a happy little anarchist society where everyone oh, I'm, like supports each other. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's definitely backstabbing someone hitting the head with the, with the clubs. But again, these aren't the largest groups. These are people you pretty much have grown up with your entire life. Uh, kill, like killing your father or killing pretty much someone who's your uncle. It's kind of a hard thing to do. And that being said, you know the power of numbers. In a society where you're trying to just simply survive, numbers is everything. All right, and this is another example. This is kind of get transferred a little bit more closer to modern history. Artisans. With an excess of food, you can have artisans to create pottery, you know, better equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if, I don't know, Jill is a better hunter than me, why would I want to kill Jill and risk my supply line of food just to become chieftain? I will benefit more if she's hunting than I will being chieftain. We'll bring in more food while she's alive than if I was simply in power. I'm, I'm, if, all right, if I had to make, put a random percentage on it, the backstabbing, that power struggle, I'm only guessing max a third. A max a third in the early tribes that was happening. I would get, I would wager most of the tribes were more concerned with other tribes coming over there, killing them, raping them. Less than a power struggle within their own tribe. I imagine only a third of all society tribes early in ages ever had to deal with that. Sure. I just think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, the biggest enemy is always going to be other people. But I just don't think that they thought the way you think they did. So, like, you're, they started forming a society. So we didn't we didn't just suddenly go from completely independent to now dependent. There's going to still be the thought process of a semi-independent person. You're always going to have, and we still do to this day, you're going to have a certain categories of people. You're going to have warlike people and peaceful people. You're going to have uh, people who are very ambitious, people who are content. You're going to have people with a like a hard work ethic and people who just want to sit around. We still have these vast differences in our society. I imagine back then when you're slowly coming out of being a completely independent being to slowly starting to form into small societies, groups, tribes, whatever you want to call them, that's not like a flip of the switch. So this is where I want to interject. We didn't, uh, I agree with you, we went slowly, but we went from herds, or I don't know what a group of, what's a, what's a, uh, a group of apes called? It's not an army. Mob, that's crows. An army. We went from, I'm just going to call it a group of, a group of apes because that army does, just doesn't fit well with this statement. We went from a group of apes, a herd, and then transitioned into society. We were never completely individual. We weren't individuals for a long time. Individuality was not around for millions of years. Now, I, I agree, there's always, the elf was always competing with the younger bucks, so to speak, to keep that control. But if they're having the same brain patterns and the intelligence to start forming gossiping, to plan, to betray, to backstab, I am sure that if they're able to do all those conscious things, they're also consciously able to think of the repercussions of, hey, if I do this and all the tribe loves him, they will all hate me and I'll be exiled. Hey, there are 
there are more. He's bigger than me. If I fight him, I will lose. Hey, they things are going well now. Why mess up a good thing? I imagine if they're able to do the competition in their head of all these Hamlet-like maneuvers, that they're able to think of the other things around, around them. So hypothetically, like I guess, so if someone wanted to commit a crime, like do you think that every time someone murders another person, they're thinking, this? my life right now is pretty cool, you know, I, I'm free, but if I get caught for this, I could be killed? Or are they just acting on an impulse? They go to rob someone and they start fighting back and, and they end up killing him. Is that going through their mu- I think both. You think that, okay, well, the, the, it's not true at all because every study says that a lot of these murders that happen for whatever reason, the murderer is never thinking long term. It's a spur of the moment decision. Oh, no. A lot of them are crime of passions. But you're telling me people don't make planned out murders? People don't try to think and plan and scheme to take up the throne that is far-fetched my friend i'm not saying they're equal on the numbers and percentages i am saying that they both happen uh, exactly which i feel like is is proving my point I'm, I'm confused at what we're arguing right now you making the point that they are intelligent enough to plan scheme gossip to pretemp premeditate but not smart enough to make the decisions of what will happen after their actions or how it will affect them if they mess up or affect them if they succeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, humans don't do that today. So I, why would they have done it in the past? I guess is my point. I mean, every one of us has done something detrimental be- for our future because we thought it was good at the time or we knew it was going to be detrimental, but we wanted to do it at that moment. Why do we drink alcohol? <laughs> well, that's a whole other dis- discussion because of psychological and tribe and stuff like that but there's a big difference of crime of passion simply because it's detrimental and we're in the moment of it to simply of trying to take the chieftain's position that's a very different thing in my opinion there's a difference between trying to do something detrimental to move myself up and doing something detrimental for shits and giggles i mean uh, killing the chieftain would definitely be trying to move yourself up if i had to imagine yeah so you that's what I just said, so that's what you just agreed with. I don't know. I, I just don't think that, uh, I don't know, the society you're describing just seems way too happy to be an actual society. Again, I think you're putting the emphasis on that, that that's happening everywhere. Again, I'm thinking it's like two-thirds small tribes of just starting farming, simply not killing their own people in their own tribes. They have enough worries. And the other third... Well, I'm not, my my argument isn't that they're killing them, it's that they're taking for individual gain. So taking extra food or, you know, talking shit about someone behind their back so that they move up in social standing. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking, like, that's the most of the problems are that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I'm thinking if you're grow up with someone who's pretty much your entire family and it's small enough. I don't think that's happening at such a large scale as what you're predicting. I imagine as we move farther on into society where we have larger groups, yes, because you're going to have more individuals disconnected from each other, more rivalry, more jealousy. That I agree with, but the idea that all tribes like this, I'm talking early, small individuals of society doing this, I think are much lower than you're making them out to be. I don't think that's until societies of... I don't know, eight, this is just arbitrary numbers, 80 or more start to form of where a lot more, 
where majority of them are stealing food, making power plays and stuff like that. I think if it's 30 and less, I think 60, 70% are pretty, you know, chill because it's such it's just a small group that it doesn't make sense. Like I, I, I'm thinking of untouched tribes out in the Amazon. But I think mean, those they murder are, other there's tribes. like 300 people in that tribe. Yeah, um, but that's large scale. I imagine even smaller scale. That's going to be harder to steal food from. It's going to make it a lot more obvious. I imagine it wasn't until society started getting larger scale where that stuff started to be more implemented. I think the small groups, that was kind of more rare. Like, honest, like if me and you, Nick, get stranded on an island, we're in that shit together. We're in a bad situation. If I get injured, well, you probably might kill me with the rock because I'll be talking about space while we're like, we're trying to survive, Mike. Uh, but we're in that shit together. We're in the trenches together. That brotherhood forms, that group forms, that family bond forms. Versus when it's, you know, larger, a whole battalion, you might not know everybody. You might not have that close feeling with everybody. I think that changes. Like, I think that's actually a really good analogy. Squad versus battalion. I think that that shows the connection and loyalty and how you're doing like that. Like, yeah, you might have, like, I don't know, just, like, just someone, like, take a couple extra cigarettes and, like, tease and laugh and poke fun at you. But that's a lot different than purposely stealing to benefit yourself and not the group. So I think, uh, I don't think humans would stay at those small numbers for long. I mean, if you look at a herd of elk can be anywhere from 12 to like, yeah. And a lot of, I've just been trying to find like an average size of human tribes, but a lot of it's coming down to about 150 people, um, which is like, like as the maximum size of a tribe. So you got to imagine, like, I think like you're, just 30 seems like a small number, but when you go up to like 50 to 100, then I think you're going to have more problems. So I, I agree with that. Uh, to me, like I'm thinking like uh, Eskimos up in uh, the Arctic. I don't really hear any murders from them and they're very small tribes. But now when I start hearing about, you know, larger tribes such as, I don't know, Mesopotamians. Oh, yeah. Murder uh, uh, an abundant. Or well, I, I well, maybe agree with that statement. I, just spitballing here maybe it's not i'm sure the number has something to do with it but maybe it's how strapped for resources you are so if you live in mesopotamia with access to a ton of food and plants and animals you're not strapped for resources like the situation you're describing you, you when you have access then that's when you can start to you know start doing bad things but when you are focusing all your time on gathering resources like these smaller communities then probably not as much goes on because that could be detrimental to everyone. So I, I get what you're saying. That's what I've been arguing the entire time. I get time. what you're saying, but I don't think like the majority of human tribes are not those small struggling for resources tribes. I think that's how we all started off with. I think that's how majority of all societies form. I think we went from nomadic, small little groups to small little tribes that met with other tribes that we started trading started to get together and form even larger societies and from there now we're having societies in different tribes intermingle and start to bring in different influence like hey that guy's from rival tribe i'll cheat him over i don't really care about him and then that flutters and grows into different vein stealing all those kind of things i i, I think numbers is probably one of the hugest points i agree with you we probably if we have an excess of food with agriculture, we probably weren't going to be staying small for a long time. I mean, humans breed like rabbits. So I'm not saying 
we stay like this for thousands of years. Well, actually, we probably did with nomads. But I'm not saying we stayed society like that for a long time. I'm just saying that was a period in our time. And when we started getting larger numbers is when other things and attributes started being contributed to society, such as trying to take the throne, trying to steal, trying to make sure my own personal gains over the tribe sort of gains, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I I think we kind of hit beat this uh, dead horse enough. Um, so you want to move on to l- later in history or where do you want to go from here? Actually, I have a great transition for later in history because when researching this, survival is the name hypothesis that I came across, but I also saw a very interesting one. A different group from the University of Kentucky's Derrick Lane had a different theory. Their theory was people formed groups to achieve goals and seek acceptance. More that humans don't want to be alone. We want to be part of their herd. And simply, we know that, hey, we can do grand things together when we form society and civilization. We can build walls. We can build dams. We can build boats. I mean, boats had to be invented eventually. I mean, we can do all these things. And I think there's some merit to that. And I think that's more modern society. Yeah, no, I also came across, I guess, that uh, the concept that the way they phrase it is that man's a social animal by nature. And basically they're, what they're arguing is that humans don't survive in isolation. Um, so you have like uh, a, a lot of you know fucked up research in, in Russia, like when they, in, or I guess the Soviet Union, they had like an orphanage and like they didn't inter- like didn't interact with like the kids at all except through like some weird thing so they were never seen and uh all the kids grew up to be pretty messed up and then you have and uh this kid who was living outside of nuremberg and where's that at nuremberg is that that russia i don't know yeah it's a it's in germany it's in bavaria i gotta touch up on my uh, european geography then but he was found uh when he was 17 years old and he they basically he was he couldn't talk like he his mind wasn't developed he could only mutter like random things and a lot of people spent a lot of time trying to educate him but they could never like get him to understand like society and, and stuff and same as uh there's two children two hindu children that were discovered in 1920 and uh they the one would only walk on all four and because they were found in a wolf den, she'd only walk on all four and she wouldn't talk. She'd only growl like a wolf. And uh, eventually she was able to pick up some social habits. But found in a wolf den. You sure this was not in Rome? I am pretty sure it's a little bit off. But that's surprising to me. Like that 17 year old. How do they survive that? Like we're not born out of the womb, kicking, screaming, ready to go. We take years to develop. So how does one survive that long? Or how how does that happen where you don't pick up any social cues? Like babies watch their parents and mimic them. How does one sort of get to an age where that's not feasible but yet still survive in the woods? As I feel like that child might have been locked in isolation and then when they grew up to be old enough then let go into the woods. Yeah, so he... It's not... Um, this happened in 1833 so it's not like we know have all the answers but he basically 
grew up in some kind of like containment cell and uh then when he died because he was stabbed and there's like a lot of conspiracy theories uh about some nobility um and then some people said he, like my the man and some mask. people said he, he made it up it's just like a whole whole thing gotcha it's just surprising to me i sorry i'm a little uh you caught me a little off guard i kind of forgot what your initial point was i was just fascinated with the story of surviving so long without oh, oh so that we like to communicate yeah, with that each man other that humans need to communicate with each other to develop and basically live like we can't we don't develop by ourselves we don't we we need to be accepted into a society into a group yeah i can imagine that and also i imagine there's a lot of chemical chemistry going on inside our brains with dopamine of being accepted the group like when someone passed from the back good job i mean you gotta be pretty good or when you get successful harvest kill that feeds your family or your your tribe you gotta feel pretty good or if you win a battle against a rival tribe and everyone's cheering for you, you gotta feel pretty good i imagine that's a huge point of wanting to form societal groups of that social interaction i mean don't monkeys and apes get sad when they don't when they're all alone and they don't have anybody? Why would humans be any different? No, I completely agree. And then I think that's just one of the we've developed so long that we need especially all the, the a lot of the stuff that a lot of the philosophers who talked about this didn't have access to the basically we didn't know exactly how the human body worked, but now we know how necessary it is for people to get all the hormones and, and stuff that are part of being in a society for development, how important that all is. Well, with society, and since you brought up philosopher, I came across a philosopher I think you might enjoy. He's a Swiss philosopher. His name is Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And in 1762, he argued that people are born free, but they, the people, must freely give authority to the government through social contract. And... I'm inclined to agree with them that, hey, I give up some of these freedoms, I'm more safe. Hey, I get, I give up some of these freedoms, like I won't steal from you. You get to let me be part of your tribe so I get to have your social interactions with you. I, I think society is so ingrained in our DNA and our evolutionary growth that we can't survive without society. I completely agree. And I think that's what um, Locke was saying earlier is that naturally we're free and then we, why would we give up all this great stuff about being free? Well, it's because that in return, we get stuff we also want, like being able to be safe and get our, you know, like whatever the government is, is providing for us, like fulfilling their, their end of the contract. Well, I also think a big point is uh, society in general means a better chance for offspring. Better chance for our genetics being passed on. I mean, not only more protection, more eyes to guard them, more resources, but with more modern society, more trades, schools, to have a better life and more abundance food than the previous generation. I imagine that's a huge part of why society's form, of knowing, hey, with the society, my offspring can do better than what I can. My offspring can build off my structure they can add on to the house they can add on to the farm they can make it bigger and i think that's another point of being belonging and wanting to seek purpose to want to grow something to make it to, to make something i think humans 
in general want to make something. I mean, we've been doing cave paintings for God knows how long. We've had ancestral ancestors, Vikings, go all the way to Constantinople and carve their name to the stone. I mean, humans want to be grander than their human form, I think. Not all, but not a insignificant percentage. I think that's a huge driving point for society. To pass the genetic lines and simply going, hey, with multiple generations and a large group, we can build this barn to be bigger than if I could by myself. It would take me months to do it by myself. But if we have a bunch of workers and I, you know, I give them some of this yellow shiny stuff called gold. Oh, or I give them some food. Oh, then I can build bigger and I can make more. And I think that's another reason why society formed is because we can make a better future for ourselves and our children. No, I definitely agree. And I think we've established that society benefits the individual I mean, a lot of different ways. But I guess my, my big question is, like, who benefits the most? Does the individual get more from society or does society get more from the individual than the individual gets back? Like, How high are the taxes? Like, does, society, does the individual live to benefit society or does society live to benefit the individual? And I, I think you're right. Like, I think it is dependent on the society. Yeah, I think it's a hybrid. I think it's a case-by-case scenario of, hey, this society, this new renaissance thing happening— it's really good for the middle class and artisans. That's more the individual basis. But hey, we're now going against war with the Nazis. It's better for society if I give up more freedoms and go fight the Nazis. It's, I think it's just case-by-case case scenario if society is beneficial for the individual or for the society, for the group. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just kind of like a chicken and the egg thing of what what came first it's it's a mutual relationship for the most part and then you know you can get into pros and cons but society mainly there's a lot of benefits to the individual as well as everyone else but at the same time there are you know the downfalls of society of that you like um you are sacrifice like your your interest may be put aside for the interest of someone who is higher up your interests may be um, opposite of the common good, and but every time humans, for the most part, tend to choose becoming in a a part of a society, a group over being completely free. Well, you've we've done an episode on freedom, Nick. We both agree that you can't be completely free one way or the other. So I think you're just choosing what freedom you have. What freedoms do you want? The freedoms that you have as a isolated individual. Or the freedoms you have as a member of society. Yeah, and everyone's choosing society. Maybe a few. Florida man is not choosing society, but you have scattered people who are you know living in the woods by themselves. But for the most part, what like ninety nine percent of people live in some form of society. Yeah, I. I think society is just a very generic word. I think society can mean a bunch of different things. I mean, there's different levels of society. I mean, you have like the Freemason Society. You have your being part of your state, being a resident of your state, to be a citizen of your country, to be a human. I mean, I think society is just too fluid of a, a word to be pinpointed. Like society in France, you know, kind of cool during 
you know, when the Vikings were invaded, not the, like in general, like the French weren't that much at war, compared to the French Revolution when society's just being burnt down. It's, I think it's just, I mean, same country, just different time period, different scenario. It's just a case-by-case scenario. I think society in general means more for humans as a group, more for the individual. Depends how well you're good at gaming the system and how well you are playing the game. Uh, I think that's that's completely up to the individual on how much they can take and how much society will let them take. Yeah, and eventually societies end. New ones are formed that come out of it, so... Does a society ever really end, though? Is it not just transform and mold into another? Does a society truly ever go away? It depends on your time frame, I guess. I mean, like, look at... Well, I would say a civilization might disappear, but I wouldn't say a a society disappears. So, So I guess you're... So, for example, you would say, like, the Roman civilization disappeared but the society of people who lived in the Italian, what is now the Italian state peninsula, peninsula, continued on. Yes. Even if they were to move. So as long as that bloodline's being passed on and a group is formed, doesn't have to be the same. I mean, we can choose our own groups now. But I think society just morphs. I don't think it ever really ends. I think once it was born into fruition, it never truly ends. So... I think the Romans is a perfect example, Nick. Uh, people who killed Caesar kept going on and eventually became the nobles of Renaissance Italy. The civilization of ancient Rome died, but the society of Rome still exists to this day. That's what my argument would be. I don't think society ever truly dies. I think civilizations, cultures, regions pass. I think they can move, but I don't think society ever truly disappears. I guess it really depends on how broad you're your brush of society is because a society is usually is a social contract between the individuals and the quote-unquote government for something but when that changes wouldn't that be a new society or is society the definition just a of, of people quite literally the definition of society like i mentioned in the beginning is a people in general thought of living together in organized communities with shared laws traditions and values the other definition they had was the people of a particular country, area, time, etc. thought of especially as an organized community. It has nothing to do with government. Well, right. I mean, that'd be the same as shared rules and, and values. A society that has shared rules and values, that'd be the same thing, uh, in my mind, as saying a social contract between individuals and, and whoever's in charge. A social contract I can see is, that. So I guess so we'll so we'll say uh, there's a change in values, a major radical yeah. change in values. Well, that would then be a new society. But it's, it's still the same time, or not? Well, you could say different time if you want, but it's still the same region. It's still the same bloodlines. How is that? How so? Let's say America, perfect example. America, which was you know with the Declaration of Independence being 1776 to now, is a very different America. Would you say it's a completely different society, even though it's the same civilization? I would think so. Just one of those so founded. even though we have pretty much, the, so we pretty much have the same laws, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, but what changed? Our values Why is are now different. All of a sudden our, oh, I don't know if I agree I mean, with that. The, I everyone... the, when America was founded, it was a very religious and Puritan area that is not what we are right now we are not puritans at all we were kicked out of 
a lot of kicked out of England for being super religious and weirdos. So when does that society end? Is it when, when the values 50% change? Of the popul- when the majority, yeah. So I guess fifty-one percent when the majority of the values have changed. Now, yes, we still See, value I, I, like you know a lot of the same things, but it's a it's a very different society. You would not be able to take someone from our time and put them back in the founding of this country and blend in seamlessly because it's a different society. See, I both agree and disagree with you at the same time. The fifty-one percent thing, I disagree with you. Uh, that I want to address first because like much you've said throughout the podcast, the chicken or the egg argument, I'm sure you're familiar, Nick, with if you keep changing a part in a car over years, over decades, is it still the same car? Uh, this slow transition to what it began with, to what it ended with, I don't think that's, I think that's just morphing and adapting and evolving. I don't think society is a rigid thing that can be defined within these harsh lines. I think society is a very much great area. Right, so here's a question. So after World War II, when Germany was broken up into four, or Berlin was broken up into four, uh, I don't know, what would they call it? You had areas, areas, regions. You had the English and American. You had the, the communist side. Would you say that that was a new society? It went from being a fascist country area to then being a more democratic capitalist and then the other half to being communist i actually don't know i truly think it could be both i it's still the same of hey they have these base beliefs you know go to church on sunday saturday etc cetera, etc cetera. uh still pay respect to your elders still you know uh, do not lie, do not steal. I mean, those base values still the same, but simply the border border being changed and drawn around. That's that's interesting because it's almost. But look, so my, let's I, hang on, hang on. Let me finish this thought. It's almost like this is just me thinking aloud. Almost like your tribe, your society being invaded by another society. Does that society absorb them, or does your society just evolve and adapt to that society? So your society still exists. It just adapts and evolves into it. That's what I'm just thinking out loud in my head right now. Please, I didn't. I just wanted to get that out there before I forgot. Yeah, I, mean, I think that could go both ways. I don't have an answer. That's why I was asking you. Because yes, I, I could easily see the argument of we, the United States today, has adapted to the society it is now, but a lot of the core tenets remain the same. But when there's a radical difference, like even like Germany was a. a that's at one point a capitalist country, then turning to communism. That's a pretty radical change. Is that a new society? I, I would say that that's a very different society because you're changing the way people interact with each other. I don't, it, it's difficult because I almost say that's a new society value, not a new society. I I don't honestly know. I, again, I agree with you. I think it go both ways, just depending on which side you lean on. It, since you answered, asked me a hypothetical, I want to run an interesting argument that i saw when researching society which is can a society exist without culture and to give you some time to think about that culture by definition is the arts beliefs and customs of a particular society group and place of time that's why i thought it was interesting that culture is a (laughs) particular society (laughs) I, i but can a society exist without culture that's what i think my question is to you I'm I'm just trying to think of an example of one, but that, but I guess is is your question 
can there be a society without culture or do societies create culture inherently? Or is, I guess is culture formed because of the society or society does uh, culture form the society? That is a very good question. Again, the chicken and the egg analogy, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, I don't know, but that's the argument I saw was society cannot exist without culture. So I'm not sure if it forms culture that they're talking about or simply will the society not sustain itself without culture? I would say it can't sustain itself without culture. And, but I don't know how you would form a society without a common culture either. Well, beliefs, all right, culture being arts, beliefs, and customs, I think you can form a society out of necessity. I think that's possible. But the thing that was more interesting to me with the definition of culture is particular society, group, place, or time. Time and culture to me... So just by being just there, the you cul- automatically have culture? Is that what, is that? Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me, the definition. That was exactly bringing up my exact point. I, To me, culture is different arts, beliefs, and customs for that region that you practice or you live in. Simply being there, I don't think, is enough to say you have culture or that that you're all the all the individuals have culture and the reason why i'm thinking about this i'm thinking long-term human scale if humans deviate from the flesh bodies and we all get into the matrix or something like that when we're all one super tribe can we have different cultures can we have can society exist without having different types of cultures can society exist if we're all robots monotone just programmed one and zero just very basic can society exist with like robots? Can society exist without culture? That I, I don't know. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a question that I don't know the answer to. I'm just thinking in my head and I can't figure it out. So a group of wildland firefighters who get together to put out a fire from all from different areas work with each other for like a, you know the 14 days and and then they're gone. Is that and they you know they live in a camp they get food it's like a mini society each crew has its own culture but when they work together is that a society because they have the shared culture of firefighting or well i think a society can have more than one culture because i mean look at i don't know chicago how many different religions ethics groups ideas ideology all make that city run well sort of run but I like your firefighter analogy. I I think for a small time, those group of firefighters together is a small society. It's a small try. Yeah, I would say when the group, all those different firefighter squads come together, even for a month or so, I would say that's a small society. And so then, but my question about their culture, so is their culture just the shared experience that they're going through? Or do they develop their own culture through when, as you work with each other you develop you start to learn other people's personalities and things start to flow a certain way or because they don't interact so much there's never really a culture developed just a few relationships here and there like it's not like they're creating their own art and so busy working and they can't socialize sort of thing just like you know kind of small talk i get what you're saying um uh all of the above so uh, that could technically be a society without culture i i I imagine all the above i imagine it's both culture of your tribe bringing to the other tribe culture of the creating the you know uh 
the culture of like, hey, this is what trains are, this is what we all agree with, this is, you know, how we kind of do things. And then the culture of such small talk, not really caring, it's not really transferring each other's cultures. I think it's all the above. I don't think it's just one generic thing. I think it's a little bit of everything, a little bit of sugar and spices. Yep. And uh, since you asked a question, I got I have a question that I'm pretty sure the answer is no, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Can a society exist without oppression? No, it can't exist without oppression. Because like, people have to make uh, sacrifices. Sa- yeah. yeah. Like me not, want, me not wanting to punch someone. I'm impressing my feeling to punch someone in the face when they are annoying me. That's a, that's a societal oppression because I would deal with the consequences from the society group that would come after me doing that action. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement, Nick. I think society cannot e- exist without oppression. That's what I thought. I saw the question. I was trying to think of a workaround, but I think you're right. I wish it wasn't that way. Uh, if everyone got one free murder, then maybe, maybe. That just sounds like anarchy with with extra steps. Nah. If everyone got one, eh, just one, you, you, you couldn't just go willy-nilly and want to waste it. If you did waste it, well... You would have your entire life, and people would know that you can't. You can do whatever they want, and they can't kill you. But this is that's a, this is a conversation for another time. Yeah. So here's a quote I wanted to read and see get your thoughts on. Society demands greater sacrifices from its greater individuals, while the fruits of the works of all are meant equally for all. The general rule is: the higher the status and culture of the individual are, the lesser his rights are, and the greater his duties are. Oh, completely agree. I, um, I'm not sure, I don't think this was in the Iliad, but it was in the application, the adaptation of the movie Troy. Odysseus says to Achilles, when you are a king, very few things are simple. I believe that to be very true. I like that quote, Nick, because if you make a mistake, it affects everyone's ripple effect. If you, in the question your leadership, you might get removed. Yeah, I, as a leadership position, you're walking on eggshells. But the lesser and, the rights, I don't know if I agree with. Greater the duties, sure. Well, well, I mean, this is a very poor example, but this is just what comes to my head. Look at a really rich, famous celebrity. They have a lot harder time going out in the public without being stopped. Uh, you expect people, your leaders, to ha- do certain things. They can't exactly be the town drunk and your leader. I imagine you're limited in what you're able to do, and I would say that's kind of removing more freedoms or maybe not removing freedoms but simply switching freedoms what new freedoms you have versus different freedoms you have yeah that's a good point switching freedoms you lose the ability to go out to eat you gain the ability to have a bunch of money and do insider trading and i know which one i want to sign up for but i like that quote who who is that Um, that was from a paper on oh gosh are you ready for me to butcher a name Oh, yes. Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. I, I mean, I've been doing trees. And I opened up the quote, the beginning of the podcast with a tree quote. Come on. Give me give me something. I'm, I'm chomping at the bits. Um, so, Anayat uh, Hassan and Corbin Ali. Anayat Hassan, Corbin Ali. Okay. From the Department of Philosophy, the University of Chittagong, Chittagong, Bangladesh. I know I fucked that up. <laughs> That can't be right. C H I T T A G O N G. 
<laughs> it sounded like to me like you said shit on a gong, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not that's not what I was university going for. Name. But... Oh, oh, that made my day. <laughs> but I had another question for you, but I think you answered it in the, in the beginning, and I just wanted to throw it out there, which was. Can a nomadic society exist? Can is society something that has to be city based or town based or stationary based? Can society be mobile? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I don't think societies are really tied down to any area. I mean, like I think, yeah, I think it's it's more it's about the people in the the system that those people work with each other and others in that is the society not a location if i did the people make what's important not the land yeah yeah i agree with that i i i just i just had it down in my notes and uh figured eh, worth to make sure that i know where you stand on that well that's all about i had for society nick yep that's that's pretty much it just uh we live in one. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> Who knows? Well, before we get out of here, Mike, what are you reading? I am reading 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. And boy, talk about society and manipulation. That is a uh, boy. It's right up there for Sun Tzu for me. What about you, my friend? What are you reading? I am still reading Small Wars and the Rise of American Power by Max Boot. And it's uh, still pretty good. Good to hear. And I do have a question for our listeners that they wanted to tell us of, do you think society nowadays, not in past, but present day, is more beneficial for the individual or more beneficial for the group? And if they wanted to tell us their answer to that question, Nick, where could they find us? You can find us on Instagram and Reddit and Backyard Philosophy or Backyard Philosophy Podcast. And with that being said, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram, 